Well, let's dive in. Chapter 3, verse 1. Starts with a rather discouraging word, honestly. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And, well, we should, right? Anybody who stands on this platform and delivers a message to you, you're going to have to make the dangerous assumption that we live what we believe. And you should be able to make that assumption. And we should be living what we believe. And so everybody who teaches the word, whether it's a Sunday school class or a small group or somebody who stands up here and preaches or whatever it might be, we are held to a stricter judgment. We were held to a higher standard. And we should be. Not just from the people who hear the teaching, but also from God himself. And so James is reminding us here, hey, be careful if you want to be a teacher because you're going to be held to a little higher standard. But here's the most encouraging verse of the whole chapter right here, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. I am so glad he put that in there. And he included himself in there. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. So already he's talking about how we talk. If anybody doesn't stumble in what they say. You know, the human tongue only weighs a few ounces, but what a powerful weapon it is, huh? I mean, the tongue is not just the muscle used for swallowing. Uh, without it, we cannot form words. We, we have to have a tongue in order to talk. And those, of course, who are most convincing with their talk have the potential to rule the world. It's the tongue that's perhaps the most potent weapon on earth because it has the power to sway the heart, to penetrate the heart, and also to manipulate the mind. Adolf Hitler was a small man, really, in stature, only five foot eight, weighed about 155 pounds, but his evil rhetoric slammed into the hearts of the young, impressionable generation of Germany like a 50-pound sledgehammer. And what started off as just words led to a movement called the National Socialist German Workers' Party. We know it today as the Nazi Party. And of course, this led to World War II. It also led to the attempt to wipe out an entire race of people. He tried to exterminate the entire Jewish race. Thank God he failed, but he still ended up killing six million plus Jews. And it all started by the passionate words of this very believable madman. And you can look throughout history and see this repeated time and time again, can't you? I mean, words are powerful. Words are weapons. Words start wars. Oh, but words can also end wars and heal hearts and usher in peace. It's all in how we use them. Take, for instance, another guy who was also living at the same time that Hitler was gaining his power in Germany. This young man was named Heinz, and he was a Jewish boy growing up in southern Germany in the Bavarian Alps. And it was in 1934 that he came across a gang of these young Nazi party uh, uh, affiliates. And they surrounded him on the street, and he feared for his life. He thought he was going to be beat up. He thought he might be killed. And yet, Heinz, some way in that moment, in the intensity of that moment, was able to uh, use words to bring peace to the moment and actually avoid any bloodshed or any violence whatsoever. Well, Heinz began to grow up, and his family was able to escape Germany during the war. They moved to New York City. He began to use his first name instead of Heinz. He began to use the English version of that name, which is Henry. And Henry began to go to college and began to just study more and more about how he can use 
persuasive words to bring about peace rather than violence. And of course, we look back now and we know this man as Henry Kissinger, one of the great secretaries of state who brought about much peace in our world. And it all started by him looking at the words of death that Hitler was bringing, and he decided instead he would use words of life. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So James reminds us here that the person who can control their tongue really can control their body. Verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So James is beginning now to explain to us the power of the tongue, and he begins by using three different word pictures, the horse, the rudder of a ship, and fires. And of course, he starts here verse, with verse three, talking about a bit in a horse's mouth. You ever watch the Kentucky Derby? How many of you ever watched the Kentucky Derby? First weekend of May every year, we have a tradition. We're always down in, in Myrtle Beach watching the Kentucky Derby uh, on that first Saturday afternoon because I'm always doing this conference called Women of Joy down there. And we have a blast watching this Kentucky Derby. It's amazing because the buildup is so huge and then the whole thing lasts like, what, 90 seconds or something? You know? And we don't have any idea who the horses are, but they always have these really crazy cool names. But one thing that's amazing to watch to me is the size of these jockeys are like, they weigh like 100 pounds. These are tiny little people riding these massive animals. And the reason they're able to control what the animal does is because there's a bit in the horse's mouth. And you see, we direct a horse to turn because of the bit in this mouth. He's much bigger and stronger than us, but the bit makes him obedient. And he who controls the bit controls the much larger and more powerful horse. There's much power in that small little bit. And so it is with our words. If we were able to control our words, we would be able to control our bodies and more of what we do. Listen to what Henry Cloud says in his book, Boundaries. When we can't hold back or set boundaries on what comes from our lips, our words are in charge, not us. But we are still responsible for those words. Our words do not come from somewhere outside of us as if we were a ventriloquist's dummy, right? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So James used the, advan- uh, the, uh, the, the, the illustration of the horse and the horse's bitten mouth. And then he also looks at ships and he uses the illustration of a rudder. Look at verse four. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, we all know about that ship, the Titanic. It was a big ship, very large for its day, 880 plus feet long, 92 and a half feet wide, and it had a rudder, and the rudder was actually well-equipped and well-sized for that size of a ship. It was a 78-foot tall rudder, 15 feet wide. Well, you know, we all know the story of that fateful day uh, when it was going through the waters there up near Greenland in that area. It was traveling at 22 knots, and they spotted this iceberg from over 500 yards away. Well, the Titanic was actually a very agile ship. In fact, that's one reason they claimed it was unsinkable, because it could maneuver so easily and so well. And they had over 30 seconds to maneuver the ship when they spotted that iceberg. And you know what? They did. They were easily able to maneuver around the iceberg. But what they didn't see was all the ice that was underneath that tip of the iceberg that they couldn't see. And of course, we all know that that's the part that drove into the hull of the ship and sliced right through it like, uh, like uh, scissors through paper. And that's what sunk the ship. 
But just like the rudder on that Titanic, we may be able to talk our way in and out of some things, and we may be able to, to bob and weave like a lawyer in a courtroom, like, like Johnny Cochran in the trial of O.J. Simpson. We can come up with clever phrases, and we can argue our way in and out of things, but what we don't see is that our words sometimes have the potential to slice into the heart of a person and cause irreparable damage. The tongue has caused many a shipwrecked lives. So as the small rudder can change the direction of a ship, the tongue can change the direction of a life. And I've met many a person over the years who's been verbally beaten down by a parent or maybe they were bullied by their peers or their spouse and, and they finally came to the point where the light just went out and their love for life left their soul and they eventually believed what they were being told, that they were worthless, useless, good for nothing, failures, and that they always would be. That's one reason our teenage suicide rates are so incredibly high, because they've bought a lie that somebody's been telling them all these years. And if that's you today, I just have to pause right here and just say, please, please know that the light can come back on. Look to the light and the love of Jesus today. He has an encouraging word for you. He really does love you. He loves you so much, and he finds so much worth in you that he suffered and bled and died for you on a cross. So if you're here today, and it's words that's caused you to even consider ending your life, don't do it. Look to Jesus. And maybe you're sitting on that side, and you're the victim of those kinds of words. But maybe you're on the other side, and you're the one who's delivering those kind of words. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us today over how we use our tongue. Verse five, so also the tongue in a small, is a small member. I told you a second ago, it's just a few ounces, very small, and yet it boasts of great things. And now he comes to his third illustration. We've talked about the horse's bit, we've talked about the ship's rudder, and now he brings up a third thing. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, every forest fire starts with just one spark, doesn't it? When we were living in California for the second time uh, in 2018, we, we, were, uh, we were watching with great interest this campfire that started in Paradise, California. Do you remember that? A couple years back in 2018, the whole thing started on November 18th, 2008, I mean, sorry, November 8th, 2018, and it all started with a single spark from a faulty electric transmission line of the Pacific Gas and Electric Company up outside of Paradise, California. And in just a few moments, I mean just a matter of hours, over 20,000 acres had been destroyed, just like that. We were watching on the news and you could literally see the fire just doing this. And it's because there was 50, 60 mile an hour winds. And do you know that at its height, that fire was spreading at literally over one football, one football field worth of land space every second. In fact, it was consuming over 80 football fields worth of land space per minute. And that's why in a matter of just 14 hours it consumed 20,000 acres, but then it burned for another two weeks. And by the time they were able to finally contain this fire, it cost $16.5 billion worth of damage, burned down 18,804 buildings and killed 85 people, and it took out over 153,000 acres of land. And it all started with just a single spark. 
That's what James is saying right here. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Did you catch that phrase? The tongue can set on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. These are strong words, but so very, very true, aren't they? I mean, the tongue can cause severe damage in just a short little while. Things like rumors or gossip or murmuring and complaining are all, unfortunately, common problems in the life of the church. And sometimes <laughs> we do it in a spiritual way. I mean, you know how it goes. We'll leave here and then we'll hear a little something and we'll, you know, we'll get our little group in the corner and say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Wow. Then we text, you know, OMG, LOL, LOL, you know, and then within about two hours, the whole town of Lynchburg has heard this rumor, and who knows if it's true. And here's the crazy thing. The one thing we never do is pick up a phone and actually call the person we're talking about. We'd never do that. That takes away all the fun, doesn't it? <laughs> and then sometimes we guise it under prayer. I love that. And I'm guilty of this. I'll be honest. We're all guilty of this. You know, we'll say, hey, uh, pray for brother so-and-so. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't really tell you what it is, but, uh, you know, it's not, you know, I, well, I can't tell you who it is. It rhymes with Barry, you know, and soon enough, <laughs> we did, and don't look at me spiritual, you know you do this too, we've all done this, right? And it causes severe damage. In fact, all you have to do to get a rumor started in church is something like this, hey, brother, Pray for so-and-so. Their marriage is struggling. Can't tell you more than that. And by next week, who knows what all's happened in that poor guy's marriage? <laughs> because the rumors fly. Well, what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, a great deal. In fact, you start looking at Scripture about what the Bible has to say about gossip and how we use our tongue and murmuring and complaining, and I mean there are dozens and dozens and dozens of passages warning us about the use of our tongue. Here, here's just a few. I mean, I listed them in my app for you too. Well, just a few. You can do your own study and find dozens more, but here's a couple. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. And I'll give you one more. How about this one? Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. He who closes his lips is deemed intelligent. So if you want to look smart, just hush. I, have a, <laughs> I had a college professor, his name was Dr. Joins, and I had a, a good friend, and, and I won't tell you the friend's name, it rhymes with Philip, but he was sitting next to me in the class, and for some reason, he kind of made this little, this little smart aleck statement to our professor one time, and, uh, and it, was, you know, it was kind of an arrogant statement because Philip was a pretty smart student, and uh, Dr. Joins just proceeded to slice him to pieces in Greek and Hebrew. And then after my friend just felt really stupid, Dr. Joins leaned back in his chair and he put his feet up on his desk and he said, son, even fish wouldn't get caught if they'd keep their mouth shut. And that's the moment I decided to never speak in that class again. 
But I never forgot that phrase. Even fish wouldn't get caught if they'd keep their mouth shut. It's a pretty good little word for us today. James chapter three, verse seven through 12. Let's read those together. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, we can tame an elephant, we can tame a killer whale, we can tame lions and tigers, but listen to verse eight. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Pretty strong language there from James. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, we're all guilty of this, aren't we? Again, that's why I go back to verse two. It's my favorite verse. (laughs) We've all stumbled, every one of us. But that doesn't make it okay, and it certainly doesn't make it right, does it? I mean, how many times have you been talking badly about your boss and he or she will walk in the room and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? That happens all the time. Or how many times have you been to church, left a church service, and in the process of lunch, or perhaps for the early crowd, brunch, we spend the next hour talking about the people we ran into or railing on the service or you know, making fun of the music or the ushers or the parking lot or the temperature of the room or even the pastor's sermon for crying out loud or the staff people or whatever. I mean, we're all guilty of this, but it doesn't make it right. In fact, what's happening is exactly what James is talking about. Out of the same mouths that sang the Lord's praises a few hours prior is now spewing for the deadly poison of gossip and murmuring blessing and cursing, fresh water and bitter water, all from the same mouth. I got to tell you, man, studying for this message was no fun because all I could think about was how many stupid things I've said. And now I'm just terrified to say anything, to be honest with you. (laughs) So don't think for one second that I don't put myself right in the middle of all this mess because I've said so many things in my life that I regret. But what would the kingdom of God look like if we all just kept our mouths shut about other people? Can you imagine? If we just kept our opinions to ourselves at times, how much more peace would we be? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, I'll give you another one. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so when we come to chapter three, we see that he is talking to us about two major things how to put feet to our faith by what we say, and how to put feet to our faith by what we sow. So let me just, as we close out today, give you some practical things that we can do to consider, first of all, what we say. First of all, we gotta be careful what we say. Be careful what we say. I mean, you've all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, Liar, liar, pans on fire, that is not true. That is not a true statement. What people say can and will hurt you. I mean, sticks can break a bone, but I've never known a broken bone to remain broken after 30 years, have you? However, I have seen hearts that are broken for a lifetime because of something someone said. I had dinner with a friend of mine uh, earlier this week, and and I just asked him, I said, hey, can can you remember one thing in your life where somebody said something and it still stings to this day. And I mean, just like that, he said, yeah, 
I was sitting in class and my teacher left the room and my teacher put, I mean, uh, and, the, and, and they put me in charge of the room, but it wasn't my teacher who did it. It was the student teacher who put me in charge of the room. And so I'm sitting at the desk and my teacher comes back in and he goes, who put you in charge? And he said, well, the student teacher did. And then he looked at the smartest kid in class and he pointed at him and he said, you should have been in charge. And for some reason that stung my friend's heart and 20, well, 35 years later, he still remembers that. And if I was to go through these rows, you would too. There's something that somebody said a long time ago that still stings because words can ruin a life. Words can break hearts. Words can divide a nation. So be careful of the words you say. Keep them short and sweet. You never know from day to day which words you'll have to eat. Be careful what you say. Secondly, be careful how you say it. We're living in a time in our nation's history that's full of volatility, violence, rage, and lawlessness, aren't we? And much of it is fueled by the fire of the tongue. Words spoken in anger and spite and revenge from both sides have caused great unrest across our nations. And I realize we can't control what someone else says, but we can certainly control what we say. So let me caution you, before you tweet, post, Instagram, TikTok, blog, Snapchat, email, text, write, or call, before you do any of that, ask yourself, is it worth it? Is what I'm about to say really worth it? Will it help anybody or will it hurt someone? Is it God-honoring? Or is it self-honoring? Will it bless anyone? Or will it cause another unnecessary argument? I don't know about you, but I just feel like the last thing we need in this world right now is another unnecessary argument, especially among believers. Amen? So I'm not saying we stay quiet about certain issues. No, we have to speak up. In fact, the church has to have a voice in our culture, in our society, and we have to stand up for what's right. And the people of God must have a voice, and the word of God must be preached, but it also must be grounded in a genuine love for God and for all mankind. And our words must be motivated by mercy and laced with love and grounded in grace. You see, because you're not just the only Jesus many will ever see, you're also the only Jesus many will ever hear. Your words really do matter. To many people in your life, every word you speak weighs a thousand pounds, like in the lives of your children. They hang on every word. So we gotta learn how to communicate, don't we? And remember, communication is not just what you say, it's what people are hearing. I mean, we can say things in a certain way, but depending on how you say it, it can be misconstrued and taken wrongly. That's why we're not just talking about what we say, we're talking about how you say it. And suddenly, if you say it in just the wrong way, you've offended someone and didn't even know it. You ever get these, you ever get these compliments from people that are actually cut downs? <laughs> like, how about this one? Um, uh, you don't look near as fat in those jeans. Oh. Well, thanks. I get this one all the time. Hey, you sang that almost as good as Josh Groban. 
Well, thanks. That, uh, is, do I say thanks? I'm not sure how to say thanks. But it's cut down, but at the same time, it's a compliment. And we also have to be careful with our inflections. Because inflections really do matter in how you speak, isn't it? So when you're saying something, it's not just what you see, it's how you say it. And sometimes it involves the inflections. For instance, if we're sitting there at the uh, Thanksgiving table uh, and we're about to have our Thanksgiving meal and I'm sitting across from my grandfather, I could say this, hey, let's eat, Grandpa. Or I could say, hey, let's eat, Grandpa. There's a big difference. Same words, different inflections. So it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. And that's why it's so important, especially when dealing with conflict, that we speak to one another rather than sending in an, e in an email. You ever get in a rude email or, or a mean email and you misconstrue everything they were saying just because it came across wrong? Or even worse, sometimes we post about it in a passive aggressive way and we don't even confront the person we're fighting with, we just wanna fight with them by way of a third party or by way of a third system like Facebook. Or maybe we have all out arguments with people online for all the world to see and witness. At some point, you're gonna say something you regret and then it's there for everyone to see forever. Trust me, I read stuff and I get some emails that I would just love to respond to in a vicious way. And so I do but then I don't send it. I've learned the value in letting cooler heads prevail. And so I will write a response that's usually pretty vicious and everything that my little sinful heart desires to say to this person, but then I don't send, except one time. <laughs> and I won't even tell you about it, but I did, one, I did send one. But for the most part, the Lord has helped me to take my time, and sometimes I'll wait a day, sometimes three days before I even respond to this person's vicious email or their letter or whatever. And of course, if you don't sign it, I'm not going to respond anyway. There's nobody named anonymous. <laughs> so we don't even respond to that stuff. But if I do get something like that or a letter or an email or something, I'm going to wait a little while because I want to respond in the right way respond how the Lord would want us to respond. And I would encourage you to do the same. I had to learn that the hard way, by the way. But sometimes, better than responding by way of written word, sometimes it's better just to pick up the phone and call them. Or even better, go meet them face to face. You know, it's surprising how less volatile things become typically when you sit down across a table with some coffee and just talk it out. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Four things you cannot recover from your words. Let me give them to you. The word after it's been said, the blow after it's been delivered, the pain from that blow, and the scar that it leaves. So we gotta be careful what we say. We gotta be careful how we say it. And then we gotta be careful when we say it. Proverbs 15, verse 23, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. It seems like in these days, the less we think, the more we talk. Isn't that right? But remember, you have the right to remain silent. Sometimes the best thing is not to say anything at all. Listen to these quotes. When all is said and done, there's usually a lot more said than done. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> and here's one of my favorites, James Lowell. He said this, blessed are they who have nothing to say and who cannot be persuaded to say it. <laughs> I love that. 
Uh, and then, of course, James 1.19 puts it this way. James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. See, sometimes they just don't need to hear our opinion. Sometimes we aren't even listening to them. We just can't wait for them to stop talking so we can share what we wanted to share. Well, sometimes it's best for us just to stop talking and instead listen and seek to understand. And then when you do speak, speak the truth and speak it in love. You'll never be hurt by what you don't say. You see, the maturity of our speech is the mark of maturity in our life. So here's a few phrases that I would encourage you to use a little bit more of. I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry you misunderstood me or not. No, just I'm sorry. And how about this? Thank you. I love you. Go ahead, you first. What can I do for you? Can I help you? What do you need? And here's a few words that we could use a little less of in our society. I, me, and mine. So we put feet to our faith by what we say, but we also put feet to our faith by what we sow. And we don't have time to go into this in great depth. I wish we did because it's really two sermons. But let me just give you briefly a quick overview of the last six verses of this chapter. James begins to talk about sowing in the meekness of wisdom. Again, another horse term, that, that term meekness, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. That is a horse terminology. That's, that's basically the description of a tame wild horse. He's not weak, he's just tamed and under control. So in the meekness of wisdom, and, and James mentions two kinds of wisdom. He mentions worldly wisdom in verses 14 through 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder and every vile practice, I mean, we see that every day in the news. But then he also mentions godly wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I'll tell you what, before we say anything, maybe we should just run it by that little list right there. Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Etc. And then secondly, not only to live in wisdom, but he encourages us to live in peace. And one of the best verses of this chapter is the last verse. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see, it's when the peace of God rules in your heart that you begin to live a life that produces the fruit of righteousness. And this will show in what you say and in what you do. So it sort of begs the question today, does the peace of God rule in your heart? Remember, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Let me put it in farmer's vernacular. What's down in your well will come up in your bucket. What's in your heart today? Is there bitterness, anger, hurt? Or does the Holy Spirit live within you? Or is there an emptiness in your soul? Do you know Jesus as your savior? Do you feel lost, don't know where to turn? Then turn to Jesus. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 10 that part of coming to Jesus is what we do with our mouth. He says, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then he'll save you. And maybe you're watching online or you're here in this room today and you've never been saved. Well, do those two things. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he'll save you, and he will. You can do that right now. And then for the rest of us, maybe you're already a believer, but the Lord is convicting you even as we sit here about how you use your words. Oh, folks. Can I just encourage you, wherever you are, let him break you. Let him speak to you. And maybe this afternoon, you just need to pick up a phone and make a few phone calls and say, hey, I'm sorry. Let your words, instead of bringing violence and volatility into your life, let them bring healing.
Remember, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our faith is fleshed out in what we say and what we do. Faith without works is dead, and words without works are useless. So as a Christian, remember the Holy Spirit is here to help you with your words, and he is here to help you and guide you in what we do. And I can't think of a better way to end this service than to sing our words of praise to the Lord. So can we just stand together? If you need to come down this aisle and seek counsel, we have pastors here at the front. We're available to help you. But let's just close this service by beginning to sing our praises to the Lord. Yes, I will. Lift your name higher and higher. Joy.
And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.